This is Soundtrack, a music podcast about the music that impacts our lives. Every episode is a conversation of how music has shaped and influenced one's life, because music is the soundtrack to everyone's story. Soundtrack is hosted by Kyle Lichty. Everyone, I'm here with Kat Blocker. How's it going? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We've known each other for a little over a year now. We first met last summer. You are a roommate of my girlfriend's. Yep. And so that's how we met. Mm -hmm. And then over this time, we've gotten to not only know each other, but you've played the piano and had some other musical experiences that we've encountered together. And here we are. Awesome. I'm really excited to be here. Really. Awesome. So originally you're from Battle Creek, Michigan. It's kind of in the middle of the lower peninsula. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talk about what that was like growing up in uh, Battle Creek. Sure. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Battle Creek. It's actually where I met Kyle's girlfriend, Hannah. We both lived there when we were younger. Growing up there was great, pretty Midwest, very average, I will say, nothing exciting. (laughs) It's the hometown of cereal. That's the only claim to fame that we have. So you could smell cereal sometimes, but yeah, it was a good time. So Kellogg is primarily from there. Were there any like any particular cereals that you remember that you smelled? Yes. So actually Kellogg's factory is not in Battle Creek anymore, but Post Factory is because we have both Post and oh, Kellogg. So right. I would smell from Post Fruity Pebbles the most. Okay. Mm-hmm. You can always <laughs> tell Fruity Pebbles more than anything else. Interesting. Uh-huh. Which That's like a very sugary it is. cereal. <laughs> yeah. So I'm Be sure it was sweet. interesting to smell. Mm-hmm, definitely. So when it comes to music, what would be like your first memory that you remember from growing up as a kid? Yeah, we were just talking to you about Jump 5 spinning around, joking <laughs> about it before we started. And I actually, I think my first memory, because I was kind of preparing for this podcast, I was thinking about somehow we had played that on the stereo, like we had an old stereo system. And my first memory of music, I think, is just playing that song and like jumping around the living room to it. At least that's what I, I kind of picture as my first memory of music. Yeah. So, <laughs> Do you know... Was that a whatever was on the radio or was it a sibling? Like what what connected you to that song? I honestly don't remember, but it had to have been a CD because I was able to plug it into our stereo. So we had like that whole, you know, TV sound system and one of those old things. So (laughs) interesting. So speaking of Jump 5, it's a Christian pop type of band and that was primarily a big part of what you were listening to at a young age. Who was influencing that? And then what did that mean to you at that time? Yeah, definitely. So my mom in particular listened only to Christian music. I used to joke that I didn't think she knew anything other than Christian music. <laughs> Might be a little true, not sure. But yeah, so she played it in, when we were in the like the car. It was on the radio. She'd play it every Sunday morning on that big old stereo. And so, yeah, that was the big inspiration. So when I was younger, I don't think I knew too much outside of Christian music for a really long time. So pop music was not known to me almost at all, unless it was like coming from movies or things like that. My dad did listen to a little bit of country, but other than that, it was mostly Christian radio. Yeah. So when it comes to 
the Christian music that you were listening to your mom, do you remember what like the artists that stood out the most to you or what she was primarily focused on? So it's definitely, I don't know if anyone would know what this is, but 91.3 was the radio station. And I think it was like a West Michigan radio station. So if you grew up in Grand Rapids, Holland area, I think you would know what it is. And that was primarily what it, what we listened to. And then there was another one that was supposed to be like for younger, the younger crowd. And I don't remember the numbers, but it might've been like 88.3 in Battle Creek or something like that. But it was that one focused primarily on like Reliant K and, you know, Switchfoot and like those types of bands. And so I think my mom really liked the, you know, maybe more old, I don't want to call it the older crowd, but maybe the older crowd one. But then for me and my brother, she'd be like, oh, well, they can listen to this other one. So then I think that's when like Reliant K and that type of sound, that stood out to me, I think more than whatever the other style was that we were listening to, because I don't remember it as much. Okay. So Reliant K, Mm -hmm. Switchfoot, what was it about those bands that were, what was fascinating about those bands? Yeah. So I think Reliant K in particular the phrase like what is it something about a sweater i don't know why i just forgot what it was but that stood out to me so much as a kid because i was like why would somebody put that in a song that's so crazy i love it and it's like oh it's like do you like my sweater or something like that and i just remember being like that is i was like five but i was like that is so funny and i was like it's so unique and so i really liked that they had a unique sound and i think that that's what started me on that journey and then in addition to that my brother my older brother who i looked up to a lot was obsessed with Reliant K and Switchfoot. He went to their concerts when he was like 10 years old. So I I had that little sister, you know, syndrome of loving what he loved as well. Yeah. The sweater, so that's Sadie Hawkins dance, I think. Yes, yeah. And it's definitely, humor is a key component of their music, lyrically Mm -hmm. at least. And yeah, it always made me laugh too. Yep. Did you ever get to see them live? I did actually in college. So we went with a couple of friends to a Switchfoot and Reliant K concert. It was incredible. It was very nostalgic, I would say. But I had a huge disappointing moment during that concert, actually, because one of my favorite Reliant K songs is Deathbed. I still find a lot of comfort in that song for some reason. But John Foreman, it is such a long song. And at the end of it, John Foreman comes in and sings. And they were both there at this concert. And they sang Deathbed. And John Foreman did not sing his part. And I was so sad because I was like, oh, they're both here. They're totally going to do what they do in the song. And they did not. (laughs) I'm trying to remember because I saw them, too. Where, Where did you see them? The Delta Plex, yeah, I think. I was yep. there. Oh, yep. <laughs> it's a small world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Crazy. I was on the floor. I don't know about you. We were just above the floor. Okay. Like first row. Nice. Above. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got to also see John do a after show. Oh, cool. A little thing. A acoustic set. That was really cool. He's a great performer. Yeah. Like I loved Reliant K's music more than Switchfoot growing up. But I loved Switchfoot's performance during that concert more than Reliant K's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like they have a, I mean, it had been a while, I think, since Reliant K had released anything. That's true. And whereas Switchfoot's still making music and having been on the road more, they can make it even more right. better. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I could see that. You mentioned your your dad in country. Yeah. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. So my dad loved country more than the Christian radio station. So that's what we listened to in his car. I have specific memories. It would be mom's car was Christian, dad's car was country. And so I 
kind of remember, I know his favorite at the time was Rascal Flats. So I have a couple of memories of Rascal Flats, but my favorite sort of memory of country music and listening to songs in my dad's car was when our song by Taylor Swift came out. I remember like narrowing in on my focus on the music when I started hearing that song. And then I go in my dad's car and be like, oh, I hope that they play this song. And yeah. I had no idea who it was or what the song name was at the time because I was pretty young. But I just remember being like, wow, this is incredible. And I actually like country music now because I used to say like, I don't want to go in dad's car and listen <laughs> to country music. You know, I liked the Christian music better, or, you know, whatever. So I started to want to listen to that type of music just for Taylor Swift. So that's kind of cool looking back on it now. When did the switch happen? Like where you knew about Taylor Swift and you were actively listening to it, not just what was on the radio? I want to say, I don't know exactly when YouTube comes into play, but I believe we, we found her on YouTube. And I don't know, this was not quite fearless era for her, but I want to say I just, I knew our song by Taylor Swift. I think I was able to add it to some sort of iPod or something like that. And then once she came out with Fearless is when I like really knew who she was. She had like, you could watch her like music videos on On Demand and we had On Demand growing <laughs> up. And so that's when I really started to know who she was. And I recognized that she was the one who I had loved with our song kind of from there. What do you think it was about Taylor that was so appealing to you at that time? One, that she was a female singer, you know, on a country radio station and even a Christian radio station. It was largely male. And so I think hearing a female was one thing that stood out to me. And I was like, oh, I love this. And then in addition, I think Taylor Swift is very, has always been very good since her very first song of being a little bit different from the regular sound. So kind of making it her own in a way that makes it unique. So I think it stood out to me because the sound was slightly different than what I was used to. Still country, but with an addition of something, I guess I can't really describe now, but what I think was just like her own take on country. Okay. There's some other music during your childhood that was really resonating with you. And, and one of them is a particular soundtrack. And I'm curious, how did that come about? And uh, you can tell us what it is. Uh, yes, Tarzan <laughs> soundtrack really was something that I think about when I think of childhood. So I don't even remember the first time I watched like the Tarzan movie or anything like that. But I know that we had the Tarzan soundtrack CD. And I would play that in our big old stereo system, same as Jump 5's spinning around. But I played the Tarzan soundtrack probably the most. I would put it in and I would just listen to every single song on repeat. And in these memories, I'm like always by myself in my living room. And I had to have been like six or seven. So I'm sure I was not actually by myself. But yeah, I just loved listening to it. I would like if I wanted to like jump around and have fun and dance, I'd be like, let's put on the Tarzan soundtrack. And yeah, I, was, I still love soundtracks to this day. So I'd like to think that, you know, I started with that connection of I loved the movie. And so the music kind of came along with it. And the soundtrack really stood out to me from that movie in particular. What other soundtracks of movies do you enjoy? One from my childhood still. Well, one is Shrek. I feel like everyone <laughs> can relate to that one. But I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the movie Spirit. Incredible movie. Loved the soundtrack to that. I still listen to it to this day and just sort of, you know, I think it's Brian Adams that leads that whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, very similar to like Bill Collins leading Tarzan and Smash Mouth Shrek. And, yeah. you know, it, it's just kind of cool to kind of see that 
connection to from like seeing the movie and then having a song to connect that scene with and how that scene made you feel. And so I think I still love soundtracks because I love when the song really adapts to how you feel while watching the movie. So you can kind of feel that again without having to watch the movie. Right. Yeah. You don't have to spend two hours exactly watching. <laughs> exactly. What other, like, are there any recent movie soundtracks that are resonating with you? I don't know how we call this recent, but How to Train Your Dragon is one of my all-time favorite soundtracks. I 10 out of 10 recommend this soundtrack to anybody. Like it makes you feel inspired. I feel like when I listen to it, I'm just like, you, you can tell where it's at in the movie every time you listen to it. It's constantly, you know, rising and falling and, you know, really changing vibes with the vibes of the movie and the scenes. And it's just the instruments that they include, how well thought out it was with each scene. It's just incredible. And I think How to Train Your Dragon 2, I don't know too much about that soundtrack in particular, but that was one of the first movies I cried in. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of funny to think about because I was in high school. But yeah, so How to Train Your Dragon. I'm curious, what, kind of going back to Tarzan, did you start listening to other Phil Collins material I, or just purely Tarzan? purely Tarzan. I think I would say that that's the same for like Smash Mouth and uh, Brian Adams too. I just loved just the soundtrack. I didn't even like any of their outside music. <laughs> okay. Another, you know, from your childhood, another thing that was really kind of standing out, which is interesting that you were into Queen, yet you were primarily still only allowed to probably listen to Christian music. Yep. So not that Queen's like explicit or anything you right. know, outrageous. How did that happen to where you're getting into the greatest hits of Queen? Definitely. So um goes back to that stereo system. I feel like that might be the sounding huge, ground. Yeah, the sounding ground <laughs> of my childhood. But my parents had this like little and it was shaped kind of like a birdhouse, but it was like this long stand and it had all their CDs in it. And I would just pick out a CD and put one in there and just listen to it. And I didn't like most of them, but my parents had the Queen greatest hits. And I would play that one. And I loved Queen. I thought that they were incredible. I thought that some of their songs were funny. I was a child, so anything that talked about butts was going to be really funny. <laughs> but in addition to that, I thought it was bizarre. Like even as a kid, I was like, bicycle race? Like what What does this even mean? You know, like that's so crazy. But, but I think it stood out to me because it was unique and I really liked it. It still sounded really good. Yeah. Were you like questioning how mama killed a man too? Yes. Yeah, definitely. As a kid, I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, I don't know of what anybody. are the consequences? <laughs> I had a friend who, for the wedding dance with their mom, had that song. That song? <laughs> Interesting. That's a choice. Yeah. But it was like one minute of it. Oh, okay. And it wasn't mm-hmm. the whole five minutes or however that's long fair. it is. Yeah, but it's a it was long just song. to get that mm-hmm. mama killed a man. Yep. That's which so is funny. I don't know. This is interesting that that was a part of the first right. day, like, <laughs> dance with mom. Mm-hmm. So another thing that's going on during this time is you are starting to learn to play the piano. Yes. And so I'm curious, how did that come about? And like, what drew you to the piano? Because sure. there's so many different instruments you could have chosen. Definitely. Yeah. So I don't know what stood out to me 
or what drew me to a piano in particular, which is kind of interesting to think about. But I just know every time I saw a piano when I was a kid, I wanted to go and play it. Like I saw the keys. I think maybe I'd heard other people play it and I just thought it was incredible. And so I, you know, every time I'd see one, I'd like go play. This was when I was a kid. So it did not sound good, I'm sure. And I have like this vivid memory of playing before I ever had lessons or anything like that. And I'm sure it was horrid, but I was at my cousin's house and my aunt was like, oh, look at you. You're so talented. And I just remember being like, okay, I am talented and I'm going to play the piano, even though I'm sure that was an aunt placating a child. <laughs> um, but yeah, so after that, I just kept being drawn to them, I think. And my parents actually noticed it and they got a free piano from a family member at church and I, they got me in lessons in fourth grade and I've been playing ever since. Talk about like the process of what it was like learning the piano. Yeah. How maybe challenging or whatever it was to you. Mm -hmm, definitely. So I definitely wanted to, you know, run before I could walk when it came to the piano. I'm sure a lot of people had that experience, but you start out plucking keys, you start out learning chords and what are the different keys that you're playing and how do they all coincide. And then you start learning scales. So, you know, every single, um, key has a scale to it. And so you have to know the scales and then that helps you when a song comes on, whatever key it's in, then you know, what key you're playing in. And so it was a whole lot of theory and, you know, just plucking at those notes. And I remember having to play scales every single practice before we got into any songs. And I'd always be like, I got really good at them because I wanted to get them over with faster. So I'd play them real fast and just be like, okay, I'm ready to play the real music now. And so, you know, when I first, I think it's like Joy to the World was one of the first real songs that I played. Outside of like the Canon and D, you know, those first, you know, what is it? Eight notes or something like that. Right. It's like the classic sound of it. I knew those because someone had taught me those and I just never forgot them. I was like, those are my notes because it sounds like a song. But other than that, I think it was Joy to the World was the first song that I ever played that was a real song and not like just plucking the keys to learn theory and things like that. Mm -hmm. Tempo. How did you evolve as a piano player? Like how did that expand like your growth? I started a little bit later in piano lessons than I think a lot of people did. I started in fourth grade and a lot of people were starting like kindergarten or first grade. I was able to catch up, which felt nice because for a while there I was feeling like I was, you know, older than I should be in certain areas. So I learned fast out of the motivation of that. I think at, there was a point during my piano lessons where I wanted to not play anymore because I wanted to play the songs that I wanted to play and not necessarily the classical songs that I was being told to play. Yeah. And I remember my mom actually went and advocated for me to my piano teacher and was like, hey, she loves the piano. But the songs that you're giving her, she doesn't love. So she doesn't want to practice and she doesn't want to play. Can we compromise and find a way for her to pick out some of her own music and your music so that she's still learning and growing? And my piano teacher agreed to it. And so I would be like the kid at the concerts who um, <laughs> would play like songs from soundtracks and things like that instead of the classical music that everyone else was playing. So that was an interesting part of my growth, a little unique one, but it was cool. What, uh, like Strangers Like Me were you um, doing? Or? One in particular was, what is it? From the the last song, it was like Steve's theme. It's like the song that she plays at the end. Okay. I played that one in a in a concert. I also played Bella's song, also known as 
River Flows in You by Yuruma from Twilight, which was a good one. Beautiful song. Having it be from Twilight is just a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm trying to think of what else. There was a, quite a few. I've forgotten a couple of them now, but yeah, I love to throw out my Taylor Swift books, to be honest with you. I have a lot of Taylor Swift piano books. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I didn't play those in the concerts, though, just to be clear. <laughs> so we get to middle school, and you are introduced to pop music. And I'm, I'm curious, is this coming from your peers? And then what type of pop music are we talking about? I started going to public school in sixth grade. I'd gone to a private Christian school prior to this. And it was at the public school that I was first sort of introduced to pop music for the most part. I would say the song Unwritten by Natasha Bedingfield. I think I'd heard, I believe the timing of that is that it was kind of elementary school. So that was one of the pop songs. But they, the thing is they'd play it on Christian radio. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's why I knew who, what it was. I didn't know it was a pop song. I thought it was Christian. So it wasn't until later until I realized that. So my first real introduction to pop music was joining a public school and it was hot and cold by Katy Perry. And I remember being like, what is this song? And then I'm like, there's a bad word in it. Like that can't be, you know, like it was just a confusing time for me, but I actually loved the song. So I don't know what that says about me, but it was my introduction and I kind of stuck with it after that. (laughs) That's funny because I I think we've all had those moments where we encounter Mm -hmm. a song like that and what that's that's out mm-hmm. there but uh, Katy Perry was like raised as a hardcore Christian right and then yep <laughs> to, isn't that funny to think about to hear I also, that song I have such a funny story too that I, I kind of forgot about but my l- older brother he listened we would watch American Idol so I guess I did have a little bit of a pop introduction there but I remember someone playing a Bon Jovi song and my older brother added it to his iPad like playlist and he would play it and he would sing there's like the word hell in it and I remember being like oh, you can't say that and <laughs> he told me and I, I don't know if I just like caught him one time saying it or how that went down but he said to me he's like oh bad words don't count if you sing them and I believed him <laughs> And so, like, I'm sure that that plays into why I didn't think the Katy Perry song was too bad because I'm like, it's in a song. It doesn't count. And I literally sang bad words because I was like, it's in a song. It doesn't count. You know, it was it took years for me to, like, kind of pick up on that one. Wow. But <laughs> well played. Mm-hmm. What other, like, pop music artists were on the radio that you were hearing from your friends? Yeah, I trying to think middle school is definitely that introduction time for me i think this was black eyed peas this was part of their era lady gaga lady gaga i think kesha came out with their album during that time and i'm like these are all like kind of interesting artists they were all very was it controversial artists at the time and i like thinking back on like my very conservative childhood i don't know how i was able to listen to all of these and be fine with it but i was so it's interesting. I think it definitely leads into the music I listen to today, but it's super like I, those are the artists I remember from middle school for sure. Mm-hmm. Parents didn't have any, you don't have any stories of, I don't, you know what? My favorite one, we joke about it all the time is all American rejects. The song yeah. gives you hell. Yes. We, me and my, you know, fellow Christian girls have talked about how we would listen to that song and we'd sing it in the car, but we would say, hope it gives you hope it gives you. And we'd leave out the hell cause we didn't want our parents to be upset with us. <laughs> so you during this time in in middle school you're starting to sing yes as well on top of playing the piano and i'm curious how does i mean 
did you not realize prior that you had a voice or like, like I just, it's kind of interesting to me that you picked up singing at that age rather than earlier. So I think I always was loving singing growing up, but I didn't realize that like I could be good at it or like it was something that, you know, I could really, you know, use and love even more and like, you know, kind of work on the talent of and really hone that skill. And so I really didn't sing along, like especially with the piano and things like that, probably until middle school. And maybe when I got those Taylor Swift books, because I finally had music that I knew outside of like, you know, church or classical music where there was like lyrics along with it. And so I'm like, well, I might as well play and sing because it's a song I already know. And so I think that that was sort of my introduction to, I guess, singing and learning how to sing well and really realizing how much I love it, especially singing and playing the piano. I feel like that was definitely my niche. Not a big fan of singing outside of the safety of having a piano with me. (laughs) What's it like to do both simultaneously like I find that has to be a challenge I would say since since I've been doing it for so long I'm not I I don't find it like it's just sort of how I did it so like I really didn't do I would play the piano without singing very often but I wouldn't sing without playing the piano too often unless it was like in the car or something so I think I just sort of I learned it so early on that I don't really know I just it comes to me naturally now. So it's hard to describe. However, there are times when like, you know, you do have to focus on one to really hone that skill. Often it's piano first and then singing for me, especially if the song is more complicated, then I'll need to like really get the piano down and understand it without singing and then kind of bring in the singing aspect of it. Mm -hmm. I feel like when you've done the piano playing, that was you had like, I got to look at this first. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to know what it's going to sound like. Because sometimes their songs have different, like, little tiny, you know, unique parts to them where they'll hesitate, but it's not right into the music, too. So you got to really figure out that sound as well. Yeah. So an interesting that this band comes around this time for you, because I think it's, it, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I feel like it's a bridge between the secular and the spiritual for you. And that's Mm -hmm. need to breathe. Yes. Talk about how you came across them and what the impact that they had on you. Definitely. So I would still count need to breathe today as one of the most influential bands in my life and influential songs and things that stand out to me. So my first encounter with need to breathe was their song washed by the water, which I think might've been one of their first like blow up songs as well. So it was on Christian radio. And like I said before, my mom plays Christian music every Sunday morning. She still does to this day. So I would, you know, sleep in on Sundays for the most part before church. My mom would be playing Christian music. And there was this time when that song had come out where I would literally wake up as soon as I started hearing that piano start for Wash by the Water. And it's such like got a gospel sound to it. It like, I swear that song would wake me up in the mornings because my mom would be playing it and no other song did this. If they didn't play it that morning, I didn't wake up to the music in particular. And so that you could count that as a spiritual journey as well, maybe. But yeah, it definitely was the first song sort of since that elementary school time where I was really enjoying, I'd really stepped back from Christian music at that point once I learned pop music and Need to Breathe kind of brought me back in and showed me that there can still be sort of this unique style of Christian music and it can be rich. And I think their Reinhardt's voice in particular 
still to me is one of the richest voices you can kind of hear. And that really stood out to me as well. Mm-hmm. Awesome. During this time, Mumford and Sons also was, yes. I don't know, did you, Love were you listening Mumford to them as well? Yes. Yep. They were a huge influence. I kind of forgot about them until you just said that. But yes, I was listening to Mumford and Sons. Very similar sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially with those rich acoustics that they both yeah, kind of carried through. And a distinct voice, I think, mm-hmm. it, like you mentioned earlier. Definitely. Um, so are you familiar with Wilder Woods? Yes. Which is Barry Reinhardt. Yeah. Yeah. His mm-hmm. like solo yep. project. Mm-hmm. I love supply and demand. Okay. And yeah. I never really quite connected with Need to Breathe mm-hmm. uh, personally, but supply and demand absolutely did. Song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. I did listen to his solo music, but I actually did not enjoy it as much as their <laughs> other music. A lot so, of Need to Breathe fans felt that way. Yeah. Yep, because I did see it come out. I listened. I actually, I'm sure I have more than one of those songs from his sort of solo album on my playlist. But they definitely they didn't stand out to me um, as much. And it could be that I just had that sort of relationship with Need to Breathe of, in their music that I liked that sound, even though his voice is a huge part of that sound. Right. Let's talk about high school. You really start to, I think, get a more personal connection to music where it's not being influenced by others. And so during this time, your taste expands to alternative music. And so I'm curious, like, what are those artists or songs that during that time that you were listening to? Yes. Yeah. So alternative music, that was such a fun era of my life. Like I I genuinely was like, wow, I've never heard songs like this before. One that always stands out to me, obviously, is Breeze Blocks by Alt J. Yeah. Incredible song. It's so unique. I feel like, you know, you you still don't really hear anything like it, although that sound is kind of making its way into some pop music and things like that today. But Alt J was one of them. I would say I also was into singer-songwriter at this point. I don't know if you heard of Brett Dannon, but he had this song called Wild Child, and I thought that that was an incredible song. I was listening to, I think 21 Pilots was this era. I guess anything you can think of that was alternative from my high school years, I was listening to it. I think Imagine Dragons fell into that category. Those were artists that I just genuinely just had a great love for, and I thought they all sounded so unique all within the same genre, but alternative was meant to be that everyone in that genre had their own sound. Yeah. Why do you think that the uniqueness was such an appeal to you about alternative? Yeah. I Especially for a high schooler. Right. Usually it's not that case, I feel like. Mm -hmm. I think for me, like I've always loved music and I always loved the idea of kind of breaking out of some boundaries and, you know, seeing what music can do. So I think there's things that are going to always be true about music and you can always make a song, you know, those four chords that everybody uses, which I believe are like C, G, A, and F. And in that combination, those can be used over and over again and still have a unique sound to them, but they are used over and over and over again. It's what makes a ukulele so easy to play. But when you kind of are able to step back and artists are really able to kind of have full 
artistic control, they can really come out with something that stands out to you. And I think for me, I was always kind of looking for ever since a kid, something that stood out and was different from just sort of the the normal sound. And I think middle school was sort of my time to get into the normal that I was sort of unaware of. And then once I got into high school, I was able to kind of I was like, okay, I've heard pop music. I understand it. I'm with it. And now I want to hear what else there is and what else can stand out and be unique in the music world. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. You mentioned singer-songwriter. I'm curious if if there are any names that come to mind. Well, you know, I would always go on to the iTunes top 100 um, (laughs) of singer-songwriter and iTunes. My goodness. I know. It's like, it feels outdated. I know. Isn't that crazy? So yeah, so iTunes 100, a singer-songwriter. I think the Civil Wars were a big deal at this point. They're yeah. not a band anymore. That and, oh my gosh, don't hate me. Why did I just forget his name? Sailboat, beautiful, one of your favorite artists. You guys went to one of his concerts. Ben Rector. Oh. I don't know why I just forgot Ben Rector's name, but <laughs> I did. <laughs> so Ben Rector was one of his albums, and it's the one that has like Sailboat on it. There's a song called Beautiful on it. And that whole album was in the top 100 for like a year or two. It was incredible. And I just remember hearing that album and just being like, wow, this is such a unique sound. He's able to really – I think I heard it in the summertime too. So it always makes me think of summer now. Um, But yeah, that was an incredible album. And so he he was one of those artists that sort of was – had – multiplied into the top 100 as well as Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran was kind of new at this point. His first album was finding its way into that top 100. I think the A-Team, which I know a lot of people have on their iTunes still to this day, would be was number one for a really long time or within the top 10 for a really long time that I could remember. The the A-Team is always what gets played. Yes. <laughs> when like it it starts alphabetically. Yeah, same. <laughs> used to be a punk with Vampire Weekend for me. <gasps> Vampire Weekend. I love Vampire Weekend. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yep. Incredible music. <laughs> the song that came out that I always think of when I think of them is Oxford Comma. Yeah. I'm like, what What a thing to write about. I believe in who, the Oxford who Comma. Who gives a, you know, about an Oxford Comma? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> have you seen Vampire Weekend live? I have not. No. Nope. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. I know, that but they're incredible. Mm-hmm. They're, they're great. Any other singer-songwriters? Huh, I feel like there's quite a few. Twin Forks was a big one for me. I don't think that they're together anymore, and I haven't seen any new music from them, but they have these this song called Back to You, and I listened. I could still listen to that today and love every second of it. It's an incredible song. They had, again, he has a really unique voice, the lead singer in it, and they – bring in instruments like the mandolin and they have a backup girl singer and just like the way that they brought it all together was just incredible. It's very upbeat, but yeah, I think it might be their first and only album. Not entirely sure, but it was really, really great. Mm -hmm. I'll check them out. Yep, definitely. Another thing during this time in high school, you're really diving into modern classical music, which is, you know, you would think like, it's like a contradiction. How can it be right. modern and classical? Mm-hmm. Explain that. And then also what was so like, what? why were you listening to that as a musician? 
Definitely. So modern classical, classical is a style of music, even though it's also a little bit contradictory. And so classical is a style that can be played with the piano or other instruments. And then the modern is just people coming out with new classical music, yeah. which is really cool. Um, and I, this is, again, where the iTunes Top 100 comes into play. There is a classical genre of Top 100. I would go through and listen to it and find the song. So I think it kind of goes back to my soundtrack days where things stood out to me because they made me, you know, feel like I was in that moment. And with modern classical music, I kind of felt that same way without having to see a movie. And I was also finding songs that were on the piano that were unique and different from what I'd kind of played classically before. And so I was able to still choose my music, but I was able to choose music that was written very recently that had a classical style to it. It was wonderful. I got to, you know, listen. I think it's pretty rare, less, at least it was growing up, that you could actually find the classical song that you were listening to on iTunes and things like that. Yeah. Or that you were playing, I mean. And so being able to, like, hear the song and then replicate it and play it myself felt like an achievement, I think, in a lot of ways. Does this include, like, instrumentals during this time as well? Like yes. But, yeah, instrumentals were huge. I don't know. The Piano Guys, John Schmidt is the piano in The Piano Guys. Okay. Um, despite their name, one of them plays the cello. And so John Schmidt was a huge inspiration for me in high school. He has this song called All of Me, and it's just him. He's just playing the piano. He wrote the song himself. And it's called All of Me because he wants you to use all parts of your body in it. Not John Legend. Not John Legend. Cover. John Schmidt. <laughs> and Which is so funny because they're both named John. So it's an incredible song, and it's incredibly complicated but it's beautiful and I would recommend anybody to listen to it. It's solely just piano. And to this day, I'm still sort of teaching myself how to play it because it takes a lot of, you know, sitting down and spending hours maybe at the piano to get down. And I have not put in the effort that I should to learn it. <laughs> so you mentioned it's got a, it requires like all of you. Yes. So what, is it just intense? Yeah. I'm not familiar enough. Yeah, no, they, he literally wants you to use like your elbows and your forearms to play. So it's written into the music to like bang on the piano with your forearm in the okay. song. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he has one thing that I want to note because it's just, you know, a musician thing. He has really long fingers and most people who play the piano do. I have the shortest fingers of anybody I ever played the piano with growing up in my age group, in my piano lessons. So I actually have to change some notes and chords like in the song All of Me because I, I like physically can't hit right. them the way that he can. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So we get to college and yes. you are just ex continuing to expand your, your taste and your interest in music mm -hmm. and you're still playing the, the piano but at the same time, you start to learn how to play another instrument, the yes. ukulele. Mm -hmm. How did that come about? And I'm curious what that's like playing that instrument. How was it different from piano? Sorry, so, there's a lot there. That's okay. Yeah. So went to college. I was listening to sort of a combination of everything that we have talked about genre-wise. 
which was kind of cool. I, I don't know. It was like a mix of, you know, the fun pop songs are what everybody was listening to. So you were making new friends in college. If you were in the car with them, everybody would know those pop songs. So that's what you played on the aux. But I kept on listening to the alternative style singer songwriter and things like that, that I still enjoyed. So that was definitely an interesting music time for me, but also a good time. I think I was also getting more into during my college years. Like I'd hear songs that were part of like TV shows and things like that and really collect those songs and it kind of goes back to that soundtrack of this scene made me feel this and the music stood out to me in that scene and I want to feel that good thing again so I'm gonna or maybe that sad thing because we all listen to sad songs too sometimes and so yeah I just kind of made a collection out of those do you recall any of the the songs that one in particular that I'm thinking of is because I made a whole playlist out of it. So Simmel is one. He's an artist and he has some great songs. Where's My Love was one of the first ones. And then there's two other artists that I think are really big in this category. S-Y-M-L? Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know who that, bon that is. Bon Iver. Nice. Because Bon Iver. Yeah. And Novo Amor. You might not know his name by the artist, but if you heard his songs, I'm sure you've heard them in a movie, TV show, something like that. He's incredible. You know, one of the ones is Tom O'Dell. His songs are coming back on TikTok for sure right now. And Lord Huron sort of in their early days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 13 Reasons Why. Yep, definitely. Yeah. Yep. So you mentioned TikTok. It's driving so much of the trends. It is. Mm-hmm. Within music right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know like offhand what the stats are, but it is huge. Right. But any... Thoughts on why that is taking place within TikTok? Yes. So I believe it goes back to that same soundtrack feeling. That's always been sort of how I listen to music. So like a lot of the TikTok trends, if you'll see like people posting about their travels or something like that, it's going to be like this piano like inspiring song because travel is meant to be an inspiration and people like to, you know, see it as an adventure and so the songs with it are going to go with that and then it's going to make you think and feel like oh you want to go on an adventure and so then people hear that and then they're like well I want to put my own adventure to that or I want to feel that and so then I feel like those songs kind of come out and then in addition to that there's just like I think there's a repetition thing so you know you see an influencer blow up dancing to a song and everyone wants to repeat that dance That's where I think it doesn't always matter what the song is and the feeling it's giving you, but sometimes it's just you've heard it enough times, it's stuck in your head, and it's going to blow up because you're going to add it to your playlist. See, I feel like that I don't appreciate (laughs) that particularly because the influence of of just because this this person does this particular song. Mm -hmm. And then, and I also think that with TikTok, it like so many times a lot of TikToks that I see are just repeats of what was already right. done. Yeah. And that gets annoying. Mm-hmm. I'm just seeing the same exact spiel done. Right. 50 I, times. I um, agree. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But, I feel like in the pandemic, TikToks were so great because they were so unique because people had the time to be original and unique. And it's sort of tapered off a bit and now it's like people are just kind of following those trends like you said and it's just the same thing over and over again but done by somebody differently right yeah (laughs) let's talk about t-swift again it was inevitable to come back up definitely i mean we so we talked last on kind of more the the self-titled and a little bit of fearless but Mm -hmm. 
talk about folklore and Everglow, but also if you want to share anything mm-hmm. in between as well. Yes. Yeah. So I would say I tapered off as a Taylor Swift fan, middle school, high school, which I know was the era for everybody else, which is kind of funny to think about, <laughs> but like read and didn't really listen to too much, but I actually had the piano book for a week now. Why weren't you listening to her during that time? You know, it actually was a a money thing. So you had to buy CDs back then and albums. And I was like, I didn't want to ask my parents to buy her album. Or if you went on to iTunes, you had to buy all the songs individually. So I would like maybe pick one or two to listen to. And then I'd leave the rest alone. And I wouldn't listen to them. And that was true up until like 1989. And I have a very reasonable excuse for why 1989 kind of was the one that I listened to and added on iTunes. And so, yeah, I would say the only reason I knew one of those was because I had the piano book for it. Mm. And then for Red, I think it was one of those things where everyone was listening to it in high school. So I heard it through that, but I wasn't so into it and I didn't love it. I didn't think it was that great. And then in college, around college time anyway, she came out with 1989. I heard the popular ones, didn't really listen to it wasn't that interested in it, to be honest with you. And then I went on a trip to Washington to visit one of my friends I'd met in college. And she had this really old van. And we would have to travel without any like Wi-Fi. There was no aux, no anything, no cellular service. But she had CDs and a CD player. And she had the 1989 album. Hmm. And so we would play that just like on repeat. And it was like mind blowing to me. I was like, this is incredible. Like she came out with pop music, but she came out with her own pop music. She made it completely her own. Every song was incredibly detailed. And like, you could tell that she had put thought into each and every note. And just even lyrically, you know, it was sort of, I think one of her first times where she showed that side of the folklore side of her before folklore came out, I think started to come out in 1989. And so that one in particular ended up getting on iTunes after that trip because I was like, wow, that was incredible. And then by the time Reputation came around, she'd added everything to Spotify. So I was able to just listen to it through there. Um, And I've been, you know, hardcore ever since. So (laughs) let's talk about the two albums that came, you know, post pandemic. What were those like for you to experience at those particular times? Yeah. So I kind of like a full circle moment, Folklore came out. The morning that I was on a flight to Washington to go spend time with that same friend. So that was kind of cool. I literally downloaded it. It was like, what, like 3 a.m. And we drove to the airport for a really early morning flight. And I but I downloaded it because I was like, I want to listen to this. And, you know, it was like the day before that she was like, I'm releasing the album tomorrow. And I think my two best friends sent it and were like, hey, this is happening. And I was like, all right, I'll be ready in the morning. And so I listened to it that whole flight. And I just remember being like, this is so weird. Like (laughs) there's no like upbeat songs. There's no like, you know, I was like, what is happening with this album? But I was like, I kind of like it. And so I kept listening to it. And I actually, this is kind of funny because we all get, you know, really involved in our, you know, celebrities lives. But I had a bit of anxiety for a second. So I'm like, oh my gosh, did she break up with Joe? And I was so sad. And I talked to my friend about it when I got to Washington. And she's like, no, no, it's okay. Like, they're still together. People read about it online. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was able to enjoy it more after that. But I think just it's one of those albums that I was able to listen to front to back 
and just genuinely enjoy that once again, Taylor Swift had come out with like a whole new genre of music and she did it incredibly. And it was, you know, she came out with these incredibly like poetic, lyrically heavy songs that, you know, still allowed for that sort of soft instrumental that made it unique and really great to listen to. Yeah. I I find it interesting that you brought up about the Joe dating relationship (laughs) because you would think, like you said, Mm -hmm. that based on several of those songs, like things are rocky or things are not going well Mm -hmm. or things ended. Yeah. And from my knowledge, somebody else wrote the songs. And so what's interesting is how she is able to convincingly, Mm -hmm. despite it not being the case, Mm -hmm. literally, uh, to convey these emotions of a breakup or Mm -hmm. uh, mixed feelings. It's pretty remarkable. It is. And so a couple of the songs that are like Exile, for example, Bony Bear, by the way, on that was just like when he comes in, that's just like chills every time. But yeah, so she actually wrote that song with Joe. So they wrote that song together and it's basically a breakup song. And I'm like, how did they, you know, get into that and like those feelings? So I think you're right. Like it's she's able to convey so much and she's talked in interviews. I don't watch too many of her interviews, to be honest with you, but I've heard her talk about like how she really likes to, you know, tell stories and like really do that, you know, fantasizing of different scenarios and really romanticizing, you know, relationships, whether they end or start or they're in the middle. And I think that she probably embodies that very well in her music. And I think folklore is a great example of that. Yeah. Let's talk about Billie Eilish and, yes, and her brother Phineas. Definitely. What has it been about her? And and I don't know if you're listening to his mm-hmm. music as well because he produces for Billie, but he does his own right. music as well mm-hmm. on top of that. What's been driving that? Is it that alternative-ish part yes. of it, of, of things? Yeah, I think it was the uniqueness. Once again, they came out with a sound that nobody had really heard before in a style, and they really made it their own. I would say, I think it's Bury a Friend is not her debut album, but it's her, well, I guess it would be her debut album before it was just an EP with Ocean Eyes and Six Feet Under and things like that. Those were all great songs. You know, Ocean Eyes was obviously the catalyst of all Mm -hmm. of it. And I'd heard the song. I thought it was great, but I didn't put too much thought into it. But Bury a Friend and the style of music that went into that and the style that they gave Billy, like aesthetically, I thought was incredible. It was so well done. It was very artistic, very unique, mind-blowing in some ways because like it started out really slow and really quiet and then it just had this incredible beat. And once again, the attention to detail was just something you don't see in every song. I feel like happier than ever is similar. Yeah, I would agree. It's even a bigger crescendo. I would completely agree. Happier than ever was my favorite surprise of the year, to be honest with you. Mm. Like, because I I didn't see it coming. And I think that that's what people love about it. And, you know, to be honest, I didn't love their whole album that just came out. (laughs) Happier than ever was definitely the highlight of it. But happier than ever was the highlight. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you what your thoughts were on happier than ever. Do you want to expand on what you were kind of maybe not jiving with? 
for the album in particular, I just, the sound didn't stand out to me, you know, like I just didn't feel like it followed along with what I was looking for. So it might even been that I, I didn't go into it with an open mind because the sound that was in when we all fall asleep, where do we go? That's what stood out to me in the vibe of that. And I just don't think they quite captured it in Happier Than Ever. And they might not have been trying to. They might have been trying to go for something different. But for some reason, it just wasn't what I was looking for, what I thought it was going to be. Happier Than Ever, the song was. Yeah. But the rest of the album just really wasn't. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I feel like I should have listened to the whole album by now. But I think my future was the lead sing. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't, I don't know if that's the right choice. Right. And I think it kind of dictated a lot of the, not necessarily backlash, but mm-hmm. just the lesser than right phenomenal reviews, yep. maybe. I think and you're then, right. And then I don't know what else was, there's your power or therefore I am mm-hmm. that I've heard as well. And maybe those would have been better options. You know, um, even NDA and Therefore I Am, I felt like fell, fell into the same category of like they were kind of repeating things that had already existed. I didn't – that's what I think made me just not interested because I'm like, I've heard this before. And, you know, no. I think Therefore I Am is not unique by any means. And so right. – yeah. And I don't think they made it any more unique by adding it to their song, unfortunately. <laughs> just a little bit of a critique there. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, something that you – are really digging into currently is Young the Giant with Wake Up. And I love Young the Giant. I've seen them multiple times. And they're not on a record label anymore. They're doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. My body has done its course. Right, and definitely. They're not going to probably ever attain what they used to be. But I'm curious, what is it about Wake Up that made you put it down towards your outline? Yeah, definitely. So Wake Up, I think that song in particular was such an embodiment of music from the early 2000s, but put in a modern light that I've ever heard. And Mm -hmm. I was just like, it made me think of like Veronica Mars. So like the TV show from the early 2000s and the music that we played during that show and things like that, where I'm like, this was the early 2000s. And this was, you know, a certain vibe or even like the show Roswell, like it embodied that vibe in the style Nothing to do with the lyrics, of course, but in the style and in what they kind of put together. And the whole, every time I listened to it, I just thought of like those shows that I watched later than the early 2000s, obviously, but watched and made me think of those times. And I hadn't yet heard anyone do an early 2000s song well in the modern era. I thought it really stood out to me because I was like, this is very well done, but with a unique sound to it. Mm Mm-hmm. Have you had a chance to listen to the other songs that they've dropped? I haven't. One of their older songs, though, that I recently listened to, but it's not brand new, is Call Me Back. Yeah. I love that song. That one also, like, with the beat drop in it, but the soft lyrics, incredible. Loved it. It's such a good, chill song. It is. I would say. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Any other Young the Giant songs that you like? Honestly, I don't know too much about them outside of that first album that they came out with. Obviously, that was a a big deal. Right. But only these two new songs, new to me (laughs) songs, have really kind of uh, made their way into my playlist. Nice. Mm -hmm. One common thread that we, I think, have been talking about this whole time is artists that are pushing boundaries. Yes. And I saw 
my question is, why do you think you like these artists that are pushing the boundaries or the artists that are coming with songs that are pushing those boundaries of music? I think to me, it's almost like this page in being genuine. It's like this freedom, freedom and being genuine. Those are the two things that stand out to me when I think about it. So one, they're able to have the freedom maybe from a record label or just like the time has allowed for record labels to be cool with it, to say what they want to say and to, you know, put down what they're feeling, what's on their mind or a story that they're coming up with and not have it be sort of conducive to what's popular necessarily, because I feel like we're sort of in an era where anything goes and it's awesome for the most part. I say for the most part, you know, and on the other side of it, so like that freedom side, I feel like it's more genuine because these artists are able to kind of put and make things that they want to make. You know, I think we can go back to like Sarah Bareilles who wrote Love Song as a, you know, big F you to her record label who told her that she needed to write a love song. And, you know, and she came out and was like, okay, here's a song called Love Song. And, you know, and I think that that's just one example of how like a record label really stifled artists and freedom and, you know, their ability to write what they wanted to write to sound the way they wanted to sound. And I think we're kind of coming into a, a place of, overcoming that and allowing for that sort of freedom to come through. And I think you can hear it in these artists and in their music and in their own ability to love their own art without having to copy someone else or having to be like someone else um, or sound the same as everybody else. What is it about music that makes us want to listen to it? Why do we as humans enjoy music? Wow, that's a large question. Yeah. So I would say, I guess from my perspective, music is just sort of like this really great bonus to life. It's something that we all get to enjoy and be a part of and listen to, especially nowadays where it's sort of right on your phone and really accessible. I, I say it's a bonus to our lives because you know, when you hear something that's really beautiful, you have like a full body reaction to it, you know? And so I think, you know, I don't know why music affects people the way that it does necessarily outside of, you know, saying like, it's beautiful and wonderful. But I think because we as humans have that reaction to music and can feel so many things just from like instruments, you know, I think that that is super incredible. And I think that that's why we as humans really internalize music and take on the emotions and thoughts that it's meant to provoke and really have it be a part of our journey in life. And even just like one song can take us all the way back to childhood. And I think that that's such a a unique and wonderful experience. Awesome. Well, thanks for for doing this, Kat. Yes. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. Thank you for listening to Soundtrack with Kyle Lichty. Each person interviewed has created a playlist of the very songs that have impacted their life. If you are interested in listening to their playlist, you can head straight to our website at soundtrack.fireside.fm. Click on Soundtrack Playlist, and it will take you straight to their playlist on Spotify. If you like the podcast and want to know more, check out our Instagram at Soundtrack Podcast or leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Join us next time on Soundtrack.